I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. Today I have with me Yvette Brown, who is a white mom with two African-American kids, and she's got a very interesting perspective on uh, the race conversation, has been doing a lot of her her own work um, in the microcosm of her own family, but then of course also um, in, in the bigger world as well. So Yvette, thank you so much for joining me. It's so, it's so fun to... Um, to finally connect with you uh, in person, whatever that means now, um, and to have this conversation. Wonderful, I'm so glad I'm here. Always willing to talk about being an anti-racist. It's a, it's a very interesting um, position for, for white people, I think, because you can't just like poof, decide you're an anti-racist and then that's it. It's, it's this constant, constant journey that I, I, I find it, um, you've been doing this work for a really, really long time. And so I always uh, find it interesting to talk with white people who have done the work to understand what it takes to, to be in this space and um, continuously working to improve ourselves. Because as you know, it's very easy to fall back into um, learn, learn behaviors and I'm still learning mm -hmm. out of them. So, um, mm -hmm. so, so talk to me um, about the uh, race conversation project. What, what, talk to us about that. What, what is that? How did you get involved in that? Um, and, and feel free to start at the very beginning of that story. If it's, you know, the decision of you and your husband to adopt uh, children, uh, African-American children, or wherever you want to start the story, please go for it. Okay. Well, um, we, my husband and I adopted two Af African-American children at birth. And um, we have a very open relationship with both of the birth parents. We didn't necessarily choose to adopt African-American children. We were just open to it. And it was important for us to have a relationship with the birth parents. So the people that we connected with most just happened to be African-American. You know, of course, being a naive new parent, I think, Oh, love, you know, this will cover everything for us. Mm -hmm. Well, as my children got older and I realized that their lives were going to be very different than my life, my white norm was not going to be the same as their black norm. And I could protect them while they're with me. But once they leave my sight, they are black children in the world. And now I have a 13-year-old who is a 13-year-old black boy, which, you know, we all have these stereotypes in our head and that can be, you know, that is not a very positive stereotype in our society. Mm -hmm. And I had to start preparing them for the world because, you know, if my son is walking home at nine o'clock at night from the neighborhood, through the neighborhood, I had to make sure that he's safe. And so around eight years old, I started having little conversations with him. Now, personally, as a white person that had no conversations with my family about race, has, I have no, had no knowledge about how do I talk to my child about race mm -hmm. because I didn't have to. 
Um, I had to do a lot of research. I read a lot of books. I took African-American history classes. I talked to friends that are African-American. And I realized I cannot take my fear of telling my son about racism as a white mom with my white guilt and it put him out into the world. So we had some really, really hard conversations that I was literally shaking in my boots as I'm talking to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he, you know, I'm telling him, well, you know, black people are often viewed as, um, you know, criminals or people may walk, follow you down the, um, cross the street when you're walking down the street. And he's not quite comprehending this at eight, nine years old because he's in school with a lot of diversity, other white kids that are good friends. And he's like, I don't understand this, you know? And then he says to me, mom, you know, and I said to him, you know, often people are racist and they don't even know it. And they're going to make some choices by looking at you and you're not going to understand them. And then he said, mom, are you like that? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm white, but I'm, I'm not like that. And I just, I realized that those beautiful pivotal moments that I had to really embrace being a mom of a black kid. So, and then I found myself getting angry that here's my fellow white parents, you know, these liberal white educated people that don't have to have these conversations with their kids. They don't have to tell their kids that, hey, when you're walking down the street, this is what you need to do. Don't run because you might get stopped by a cop. Right. You know, so I found myself thinking, this is ridiculous. I need to start telling these parents about this. So I started, I became the chairman of the race and equity committee at my school. I started having brunches with white parents just white parents so that we can have a safe space to really talk about some conversations that they probably would never say or questions they would ever have in front of a group of African-American people, mm-hmm. which then led me to how do white parents talk to their kids about race? And what is that compared to how black parents talk to their kids about race? And I, connected with my friend, Nicole Wolf, who's a professor at Sonoma State University. And I said, I want to do a race conversation project. I want to ask, interview parents from all walks of life and ask them, you know, how do you have these conversations? And through this, I learned, I learned so much about how a white parent, they want to be nice. They want to be kind. You know, they have Civil rights are really important to them. They they come from a place of kindness and everyone's equal, Mm -hmm. whereas African-American parents come from not everything is equal. I have to protect my children. We have these conversations every single day. The minute we walk out of our home, we are confronted with racism, whether it's um, microaggression, implicit or explicit. And the dynamics were so drastically different. I also realized that 
the black parents and the white parents don't want to have this conversation because with their kids, they want their kids to remain innocent. You know, we don't want to tell our children about these really ugly truths, but the black people don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. They have to have those conversations. Whereas white parents, they can kind of sort of ignore it. So that was my initial reason why I did the race project. Great. And so what did you find it? Um, a lot of people were wanting to come have these brunches with you. Did you find resistance? Because I think there's this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. quote um, about moderate liberals and how they're the scariest ones. Right. And I was reading that as part of this anti-racism like work group thing I was doing a couple years ago. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, that's me. You know, let's look more into this. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but I've also had some pretty astounding conversations, like direct conversations with liberal white people who absolutely insist that they are not part of the problem, not even yeah. open to learning about that. And I'm just wondering, because um, you live in the Bay Area, um, where, you know, oh. this liberal attitude, I'm sure, is, <laughs> is, is everywhere. Um, were people open to looking within and, and recognizing their, their own part of it? When I put it out to people, there was definitely a selection of people that were willing to listen. And those people usually were the ones that came to participate and listen and be part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, I definitely had a lot of resistance when it came to a lot of white liberals and conservatives. So it's very strange. You have these white progressives that think they are um, above racism. And then you have people that are, you know, implicitly, potentially explicitly racism that really don't want to be, don't want to hear about it. What helped um, was when I would do them, other people would tell other people. And so that kind of helped carve the way for other people to come and participate. Also at the schools, um, because I would send out like weekly or monthly blasts. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting speakers coming into the schools to talk about um, racism, microaggression, how to be a better um, teacher here, how to talk about race. Um, that also created an environment so that they can read their emails or look at the video and then learn and then they would come and ask questions yeah that's a so good yeah you know when you're a liberal white person you think you know it all and you you don't want to be told you're a racist no yeah what for me when i first realized that the race was the system it wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily just implicit bias and that we mm -hmm. all have our implicit biases because of the system. Right. It felt like a huge weight off my shoulders of like, okay, like from the start, we are all at this playing, like level playing ground, including people of color who have also been, <clears throat> excuse me, racialized in it and had to deal with their own internalization of it. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, that makes you evil. It's what do you do with it and recognize it moving forward. I, for me, I thought that was like a huge, like, okay, now I can just learn and, and, and change and recognize and, and then take action. I don't find that with all people. I find that people are like, well, not all white people are racist or whatever. And they have a hard time shifting it to understanding that it's part of a bigger systemic thing. Have, have, 
how do you help explain that to people or, or what luck have you had with that? And, and I guess also, did you have any formal training and how you talk about race with people or was it something you learned along the way and what have you found works for people? I have no formal training. I'm learning as I go. I do a lot of reading and research and talk to a lot of people. I'm, I tend to be a little on the frank side. So <laughs> in fact, um, people come to me, well, what are you talking about? Um, there's no racism in San Francisco. And I will say to them, well, did you realize there was an event that this happened and, and there, and it was between two parents of a child and they would look at me like, what, that can't happen in San Francisco. So I would have to kind of gently open their eyes. I mean, I can be very forthright, but also for some reason I have a way of like getting in there and kind of using humor and indirect um, situations to, you know, get them to talk about it. First of all, you have to meet them where they're at. Yeah. Make sure they're comfortable. Talk about your experience. I t if it's a parent, I mentioned the fact, well, your son and my son are friends. How would your son feel if my son was hurt by someone calling out, call, you know, saying something racist to him? Mm -hmm. Your son would be really upset. So what are you going to do to prepare your child for that situation? How are you going to create empathy and understanding? Explain to them about racism so that they understand that it is a form of bullying, but it's really specific yeah. just to people of color or African-Americans. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. That did. did. I'm, I, I tend to respond very much to tough love. Like that's what makes me make changes in my life. Like from the dentist to like the first time <laughs> someone called me out for being privileged. That's when I was like, what? You know, right, exactly. I'm filled with defensiveness, but then did my homework and, and realized they were absolutely right. And I, I find my, and I'm so I'm asking these questions for people listening, but I'm also asking for myself because I, I have a very direct way about me. Um, and race is something that is so polarizing. I'm a, I'm a meditation teacher. So I've learned to talk to people about meditation in this way, but like, I'm okay being silent about meditation if people don't want to talk about it, but I'm not mm -hmm. okay being silent about race if people don't want to talk about it. So there's that thing of, of balancing, like, what is just not, you know, not wanting to make people feel uncomfortable so they turn off and just glazing over what needs to be said. And so I find, I find there's that, um, that balance all the time and, and it's, not, it's nothing new. It's not a new struggle that I've uh, come across, but... I'm always interested to talk to other people who spend a lot of time talking to other white people about race, uh, what it's been like. It sounds like you've developed a nice um, nuanced skill that has gotten people to listen really well to you. So uh, congratulations on that. It's, it's not easy. Um, what, so what are some of the, what have you, some of the um, results from that project been? I know it's still, you're still finishing it up and, but what are some of the main points that you think people should take away uh, after watching this interview? Some of the main points that I got from this interview is, from these many interviews, are that 
African Americans, you know, they live, they have their home, they have this place where they can feel really good. It's and supported within their family. But I'm not kidding. The minute they walk out the door, they are confronted by a world that just sees them as black. Well, and no matter in their home, like cops can just bang in the door with. Well, yes. Now that yes, and it's horrifying. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. I'm sorry. Exactly. You but absolutely like this whole next level craziness. <sighs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. But in like in general, as yeah. you know, they feel like it's a safer space for them to relax, be comfortable with themselves. And from the minute they leave their house, they either have to code switch, which is basically go from being in home family, African American community to oh, what am I going to do when I walk out this door that's going to make white people feel comfortable so that I can feel safe? I cannot threaten these people in any way. So how do I change my voice? How do I change my clothes? How do I change my actions? Every white person they come in contact with, they don't know the history of that person. So they don't know, is this person an anti-racist? Is this person just complacent? Is this person explicitly racist? So they have to constantly navigate in their mind how to function in this world. So if you're distracted by this 24-7, the amount of stress that is put into your body, the cortisol levels, the, the, the inability to really focus sometimes on things that are really meaningful, important to everyone and white people do really easily because they don't have to worry about constantly being on alert. You know, it really affects their identity. It affects their life. It affects their health. Whereas white people literally do not have to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. We have other problems, but they have that extra layer to have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I, I, I did another uh, <clears throat> interview with a woman who's an obesity specialist, um, Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford at, at Harvard. And she was talking about um, the, the risk of uh, obesity due to constant inflammation from stress. And mm -hmm. so just existing in a racist world where you're constantly exposed to that stress, which causes the inflammation, which can then lead to the obesity, which is much higher risk of being uh, inherited than so many other traits. Because um, we were talking about in, this, in the setting of COVID and, and what people think they know about obesity and, and they really don't, including me. I, I had a very simplistic view of it as well. So yeah, that, mm -hmm. that constant stress um, has weighs such a toll and it, it, it's like, I mean, I sort of think about it like COVID. We have this constant thing that we have to worry about all mm -hmm. the time going out into the world or whatever, like that's been, that's been reality for people of color yeah, always, you know, and now we're just kind of getting a sense of how you have to think about it all the time. And maybe at home you feel safe, but maybe you don't. And then also going out into the world, but now that's on top of the race issue. So you're right. It's, it's such a privilege to not have to think about that and not have the physiologic and emotional mm -hmm. uh, repercussions of that. Um, how do you, how do you, like to uh, advise white parents to talk to their kids about race? What, what are some of the things that you um, want them 
to learn and, and what are some resources that are helpful for can be helpful for them and, and what, what do you think is effective? Well, if you're a new parent, I think it starts immediately. And and you're you're probably thinking, oh my my child's three months old, what does it matter? Well, you can bring people into your life that are different colors than you. You can have caregivers of different colors you, uh, and races. Children, I mean, we are born to kind of separate, define, and compartmentalize things as a, as a kid. You know, as a child, it's like, put all the triangles together, put all the red circles together. So we learn to define things mm -hmm. as we grow. And if you have a variety of people around them that are loving and caring, those, that love is going to be represented and they're gonna internalize that. Then as they grow, you start, you know, of course, always bringing in books and, um, very positive uh, messaging towards people of color and African-Americans. Um, as you get older, I think it's really important to start kind of laying the foundation of empathy. And one of the ways I do that with or encourage parents to do is, you know, if your child has friends that are of different colors, then they have that human connection. Mm -hmm. And those friends are really important to them. So when, you, when they see a person that's getting harmed of a different color, then they are willing to be their own little superheroes and learn to be anti-racist that way. It's not a blatant in your face way to learn, but it's like, oh, I have formed empathy. I will love my friend. I don't want my friend to get hurt. Another way is to talk about fairness. You know, they'll, you know, they might be having a temper tantrum about, it's not fair that I don't get this. Yes, and there are a lot of things that are not fair. So you can talk in those terms. I remember one time when my son was about five, we went to um, a shelter to donate clothes. My son's African-American and he's looking around and there, you're in an area called the Tenderloin, which is pretty, pretty sketchy and he's and there are a lot of people living on the streets and he said mommy how come there's so many black people here and I said well of course I'm thrown off because <laughs> at five I was not prepared to talk to my child about race right um but I realized that that was an opportunity to create kind of the concept of structural racism so I said well we live in a country where most people are white and most of the people that are white own most of the businesses. And if you're a white person, you tend to hire people that are white. So these white people are getting hired. And if, and if the black people aren't getting hired because of their skin color, then they can't have money to pay their rent. And then they end up becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very simplistic, but for a five-year-old, you really can't get much more complicated than that. But what it symbolizes is that we have a situation and it, you make a decision, it affects the next person and it goes down and down the line. And they learn that these decisions that are made will affect other people. Um, 
let's see, what other question? You mentioned um, having caregivers around the children who are diverse. Define what you mean by caregivers. Who do you define to be caregivers? Parents, um, babysitters, um, even friends that come over um, in your church communities or social communities. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just really important to have diversity and at a very young age. As they get later, I think defining diversity, you can you could really ignore it. But I think in a young age, when they're just developing, that those they see these different types of people and they feel comfortable and loved. So caregivers, um, yes, parents. Okay. Um, Preschools. Yeah, yeah, like teachers. I mean, I think it's really hard. I know it's important to expose children to, particularly, I think, black children, to, mm -hmm. to have them see their teachers who are all, you know, look like them. Absolutely. Uh, also for white children to see that and, and mm -hmm. to um, internalize that as, as mm -hmm. something that um, would hopefully counteract some of the other, other things that we would internalize. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, these are, I mean, these are such hard conversations and there's always this fear of, saying the wrong thing or whatever right. and that can shut a lot of people down what's your um what's your like if someone calls you out and says hey you're saying that wrong you're doing that wrong or whatever what's your uh like go-to response how do you how do you um handle those situations well it depends on the situation but if it's an african-american person calling me out i will I will just apologize. I, you know, and say, you know, how can I learn from this moment? Please tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to offend you. I, I just feel that's really important to make them know that I'm willing to listen and that I'm willing to change. Mm -hmm. If it's a white person calling me out, it's, it's the same way. It's like, I just need to realize, Hey, I'm learning here. I am willing to hear anything you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because it's like nobody's perfect all the time, and nobody's no. gonna say everything right. And nobody, you could say it what's right to forty percent of the population, another forty percent wouldn't agree, and another twenty percent, you know, like there's it, it's there's there's no well, there are some right ways, there's some <laughs> guidelines, but but not everything is gonna be um, perfect to everybody, and and it can be really challenging. So to put yourself out there. Um, requires a lot of um, vulnerability, I think. It does. And, and I tell parents that, that you might not have the answer and you can always tell your child, you know what, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question right now. Can I get back to you? Or if they're in a situation where they're uncomfortable, can we, can we talk about this in a little while and I'll have a better answer for you? I love that. To have the right answer is impossible because we have never... We haven't been raised to know what the right answer is. You know, we don't, we don't have the answers growing up, so we can't give them necessarily the answers. Mm -hmm. Or let's just say, let's say your white child looks at someone says, mommy, looking at a black person, mommy, that person's dirty. And you're probably cringing inside thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm how embarrassing. Well, my advice to that parent is if you don't have the answer or you want to leave the situation as quick as possible is to look at the African-American person and say, let them know that you heard this 
and turn to your child and say, you know, that person is not dirty and explain to them about maybe melanin. And, and if you're too flustered, just say, you know what, that may have hurt that person's feelings. And, you know, let's talk about this later. But if you acknowledge the African-American person and let your child know that you're kind of working on it, mm -hmm. then they know that they can talk about it. But if you're silent about it and then whisk them away, they're going to know there's this kind of uh, um, fear around speaking out sure. about differences. That's a really good point. And kids are, I mean, they're ruthless. They'll be like, you have more wrinkles on their face than daddy does. Or uh. They're, they're going to say everything that's on their mind and not filter. Yeah. And you kind of wish they would, but then you also kind of like, it's beautiful. You know, it's like, they need to learn to be out in society, but it's mm -hmm. also so beautiful to, to see the way they're just like making observations about things. But then of course, there's, there's things with kindness and then there's things with right and wrong. There's things that are yeah. like, like, no, you don't need to comment on what someone's gray, gray hairs. <laughs> but then there's also things that are like legit are needing to be taught and learned and, and um, re, refocused. So, wow, this is such a, it's such a tough conversation to have. And it's, it's an interesting conversation um, between two, two white people as well, because it's like, mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. I mm -hmm. want to amplify the voices of people who are, speaking out and, and doing what they can to change this current generation and future generations. And I know a lot of people are feeling very powerless right now. White people, well, black people for understandable reasons, and then white people wanting to do something and not knowing where to go and not knowing how to do it. And it, it can really, from what you're saying, it can really start in your own home so powerfully. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you have resources that you recommend for people? Um, who, white, in particular, white people who want to learn more about talking to their kids about race or about racism in general? Um, I did not make a list of resources. I do have resources. Okay. If it's possible that I can. Yes, absolutely. I will share those. I will share those um, in the show notes here so anyone can read them below and I'll, we'll, we'll make sure there's, there's links when, when appropriate because uh, there's a lot out there and, and everyone I know has now in the last two weeks been sending me like every anti-racism <laughs> resource they've ever they've come across, uh, which is great. I love it. You know, people are thinking about it. It's in people's consciousness now, I think, in a way that maybe hadn't been before. Yes, um, wonderful. Even the term anti-racist makes a mm -hmm. lot of people uncomfortable. So I yes. think now people understand that it's nothing, there's nothing scary about it at all. It's, it's a beautiful term, but, mm -hmm. um, any, anything else that you would like to, um, pass along to people who are listening, who are struggling with, um, anything that we've talked about, how to talk to your kids about race, um, uh, how to address any of these issues with your own family members or friends? Well, as a parent, I feel that you should realize that your kids are watching you and how you are responding to other African-Americans. They're watching, how are you treating people? And if you are upset about something that's going on or you think it's something unfair and you're starting to show your emotions, I feel that that gives kids permission to feel sensitive and show their emotions about something that's really unjust. You know, I mean, of course, if you are, you know, overly emotional, you don't want to scare your child. But, you know, if they see you're being a little vulnerable and that you're really sensitive to this, then they mm -hmm. kind of like 
gives them permission to also be that way. Mm -hmm. And you won't always have the right answer. Um, but it is really important to talk to them about race. It's important to let them know that history was not necessarily perfect and that it did alter the lives of many people, especially African-Americans. Yeah. And yeah. as a white person, you need to say, look, I don't like what happened. And you and I, parent and child, we're going to make sure that we are not like those people in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, I love starting it like right away. You know, it's like, I remember when my, when my sister has, has twins and like, at some point she was like, they're too young to understand what no means. But like, at some point they have to, you have to start saying no, and they <laughs> will understand what that means when they start mm -hmm. to understand what that means. But it's always this like question. And I'm not a child psychologist and I don't know what all these developmental stages, but things are getting internalized before they're able to consciously respond to it or not. Mm -hmm. So that's really powerful. Well, Yvette, thank you so much for, for agreeing to talk with me today and for the work you do in such a, um, what can be a very fraught space um, where mm -hmm. people bring a lot of emotions and for mm -hmm. being willing to have those difficult conversations time and time and again, and not just being willing to, but really like diving in and, and, and exploring them and, um, and studying them and, and then being able to um, help other people continue to have those conversations, which are so, so, so needed. Mm -hmm. um, I think the internal work is what comes first. That's my Absolutely. own personal bias, but you can go out and, and organize and do all these things. But if you're doing it from a reactive place mm -hmm. that doesn't recognize your own one's own limitations, it's going to, it's going to backfire. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, it's important all this work that you're doing laying the, the the foundation groundwork for people that can do that with their children that's that's making such an impact so thank you for all the work that you do and thank you for taking the time to talk with me is there Absolutely. any way people can follow you are you on social media or um any of those things or do you keep most of your social media stuff private um right now i'm in the process of updating my website i have it's yvettembrown.com. I am actually a professional artist also. So um, I have a link to my blog on there. I have some articles on Medium. So Yvette, M as in Mary, last name Brown, Mike the Color, is basically, if you search that, you can find articles and my website. I have a Facebook page. It's pretty just friends so okay, so it's your personal facebook that's that's yeah. totally fine so I'll, I'll make sure that we include that website here for anyone who wants to learn more oh yeah. and um i do have a podcast sorry <laughs> called um awkwardness and grace and where can people find that on uh stitcher so far yeah okay great i'm writing all these things down so i can include that on there all right well thank you so much have a uh, great rest of your day and thank you so much for for being who you are all right. You too, Jill. Take care. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, M-D, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R, M-D. 
and please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.